0: Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Mila Brugic, and we're going to be talking today with Dr. Maria Walker on the Optometric Insights Show. So welcome, everybody. Make sure you um, you, you follow our podcast. Um, today, we have an awesome guest. Um, so Dr. Maria, Maria Walker, she's currently doing her PhD at the University of Houston. Maria, I remember um, years ago when we met each other at the Global Specialty Lens Symposium, and I think that's Probably the reason why we just stayed so close over the years. I've some of the research that you've done has cropped up, and I've had questions about things. And um, I remember at the International Society of Contact Lens Specialists, some of the presentations that you gave were just unbelievable. Um, the thing I love about your presentations is. You go to a level of depth that is very kind of bench oriented, but you always relate it back clinically, so that we know what to do with the information in, in our practices as well, too. And I think you seeing patients and working with patients currently in the clinic really keeps you super practical with all that information. But I want to take a step back, Maria. First and foremost, thanks for being on the show. Um, really appreciate it. But uh, how did your how did your start your passion for scleral lenses begin like what what kind of gave you that 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 urge to say this is something that i want to pursue more seriously
1: yeah well thank you for having me on first of all honored to be to be a guest so it actually traces back to my third year of optometry school where i became hooked on scleral lenses i was you know kind of perfectly positioned. And I had a clinic with a woman named Susan Bayless, yep. who uh, is out there somewhere. And I run into her at meetings too. And, you know, it was really her who introduced me to them. We had a keratoconus patient and I had the boom, wow, oh my gosh, what a difference in this person's life we can make. And then it just sort of snowballed from there and haven't looked back.
0: That's the way it usually happens. I So Dave Kading, who is one of my all-time best friends. He introduced me to scleral lenses. I remember Lynette Johns actually um, hours later showed me a scleral lens and Josh Adams actually gave me the first scleral lens that I put on a patient's eye so I remember that patient. But I think you did a residency at Pacific. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Residency at Pacific, correct?
1: Yes, I was at Pacific. And actually, the small world we live in, another person who really influenced me was Lynette Johns because my first day of my residency, she was giving a lecture to the students on oh, Lenses. So.
0: That's great. And then you pursued things from there and then you went to the University of Houston and now you're in the middle of your PhD work and... Um you have some really cool stuff that you're working on, Maria. Like share with y'all this is this is a group of optometrists um, that are passionate and uh, and they want to know what's what's new in the understanding of scleral lenses. So give us a sneak peek on on really what you're looking to defend here in the next uh, little bit.
1: Yeah. so I think the most exciting part, certainly for me as a clinician, is some of the work that we've done on midday fogging, which is, of course, when you get that debris that accumulates in the, the fluid reservoir beneath the scleral lens. And we've really been looking into what it is. We've looked a little bit at it, whether or not it's inflammatory. Um, but the, the biggest thing is we've really pinned it down to a lipid. So there's been different hypotheses. Is it mucin, which is a protein? Is it uh you know, a certain different types of proteins or cells. And and our work is really showing it's, it's these two different classes of lipids. Um, one is called cholesterol ester and the other one is wax ester. And if you look at, at the lipids coming out of the myelonian glands, they're typically about 50 to 60% different in different individuals of those lipids. So really high percentage of these lipids in midday fogging, which I think is is a really interesting uh clinical piece, which, you know, as I've told you, um, I think really gives a lot of evidence to our use of preservative-free artificial tears or something that is lipophilic because these these little lipids are basically precipitating out of the, the saline solutions that we use for the lenses. And so I think um, that that, for me, is really exciting because it really connects back to something that we've some of us have been doing anecdotally as clinicians with is using this uh, lipophilic application solutions, and it really gives evidence to, to that use.
0: That's great. Did you guys look, um, or was there anything with mucin related to the midday fogging?
1: Yeah, so good question. And the answer is is a little bit complicated, but the short answer is no. Um, Mucins can be difficult to look at because they tend to stick to other types of proteins. Um, But I will say I've looked, this is the third time I've looked non-specifically at proteins and you'll see a mucin gets kind of found here and there, but they're really not jumping out as a predominant component of that fluid itself.
0: And what about too, like Maria, did you guys look at um, landing zone characteristics and its relationship to kind of what you're seeing as as that midday fogging response.
1: Yeah, sure. So also hugely clinically relevant because uh, for a while, and I'm among them, we thought that a tight landing zone that compresses the constant tissue causes more midday fogging. And so our study, as well as two or three other that just looked uh, retrospectively and then looked in some other ways. Do not see any relationship with the amount of compression or the tightness of the fit with the actual occurrence of midday mm-hmm. fogging. so we we looked at the compression and it just doesn't match up. Some patients with midday fogging had some compression, some had very little, so there was no relationship
0: that's that's interesting. and was there was there anything to show that individuals who had maybe landing zones that were um, less uh, compressed or essentially edge lift um, or maybe moving landing zones causing that?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting that you bring that up because if anything, the data showed a trend towards actually the lenses that caused less compression having more midday fogging. Now, it certainly doesn't mean that that's causing it, um, but it definitely means that it's certainly not the other way around and a tight lens is causing it. And it may mean that by having a looser fit, more of the, you know, you're getting more of those lipids underneath the lens in the first place, which is causing the problem.
0: So do you, like clinically, do you think that um, there's merit to optimizing the way that the meibomian glands function? Um, is, is there merit to that to attempt to create a strategy to reduce midday fogging? I mean, is that one of the things that we need to be looking at is make sure that the meibomian glands are healthy and functioning the way that they're supposed to be?
1: I would say potentially, yes. I, you know, you, based on what we have, you, you couldn't say one way or the other, but um, just what we know about meibomian gland disease and how it can affect contact lens wear negatively and just cause inflammation on the ocular surface in general. Um, I, I would say it's a safe bet to, to look, to try that and, and to mitigate it. now. If it were to work, you'd be working under the presumption that by managing my gland disease, you'd be able to somehow change the lipid types that are being secreted, which is not, you know, that's a lot of people more in the dry eye space specifically than I are looking into this. And we know that with all types of dry eye, there's this lipid imbalance, there's something going on with the way the lipids are interacting with each other that's off. So, yeah, I would say treat it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Maria, um, great insights. Uh, this one's going to be a little bit of a tougher question because, you know, you're obviously a thought leader in the space. You're obviously um, – your passion seems to be, um, one, obviously scleral lenses, two, optimizing patient outcomes, but three, really doing a deeper dive into the understanding of the biochemistry. And I, I think that's one of the things that I really – really appreciate from listening to you um, you may or may not be aware of this but I was a biochem major in undergrad so that's just yeah that's just something that I've always been passionate about understanding the underlying mechanisms to why things are doing what they're doing and it just seems like you you see things clinically and you're taking the next step and saying let's let's figure out if we can explain why this is occurring but with that said you have some responsibilities and the responsibilities now is is what do you what do you see as kind of the big trends in scleral lenses. So is there anything where you're saying like, this is what we can expect in the next one year five years with scleral lenses? This is kind of going to be the new thing that you're going to see in scleral lenses in the next several years. And what are you, what are you most looking forward to in terms of you know, what we can potentially see with scleral lenses in the future?
1: Yeah, I think, so So it's a little bit of two two questions, right? What do I expect and, and kind of what do I, what would I love to see, right? So there yeah. is some really cool research going on. And I have to give a shout out to our friends at Moho Vision. I don't know if you've heard of yeah. them. but yeah. uh, some yeah. really cool. And I have no, in- I have no vested interest in it. So I just know them adjacently. But I know I've seen some of the work and they're doing some mm-hmm. really interesting stuff with Um, like iris controlled lenses. So like you have a scleral lens, the capacity to put electronics in between the front and back surface are huge. And a lot of the I think setbacks in putting electronics into lenses has been, you know, we can't put electrics near the eye, you know, and and there's legitimate concerns. But, you know, I see stuff going like in that really cool space, but it's still going to be very niche market in terms of like The big picture, Um, and and maybe I'm optimistic, but I see more evolution of solutions to use, of application solutions to use, and the shape of the lenses. We're seeing more and more. I'm going through uh, different companies and what they offer now, and I'm seeing more and more have these freeform type of lenses where... It's like a molded lens, asymmetric lenses with different width, right? Why are we fitting spherical lenses on non-spherical eyes? You know, mm-hmm. I, I could go on and on. I'm excited about a lot of different things. Um, but I don't know if there's any of those you want me to elaborate on. <laughs> that. Yeah.
0: Pick, I'd love to hear, like, do you know anything that's going on in the solution world where you're like, this is what you have to keep an eye on with in terms of solutions?
1: Yeah. You know, I'm not really. Um, I, you know, I know in terms of like the patients who do well with the Hydropeg, which, you know, isn't every patient, but it's some patients. And it's the, that coating, they, they just came out with this boost that can. That oh yeah, that's that right. That so I, I, you know, I think that's an important step, certainly with Hydropeg. So for those patients, we have an extra option. Um, you know, in terms of cleaning solutions, I, I, I think we've, we're, we're pretty good, especially yeah. with things like Progent. Um, but in the, I think it's the application solution space that we'll really see. And I hope that some of the work we're doing will help encourage kind of the the direction of those. Um, and again, you know, I'm shooting for like lipophilic things that are uh, a little bit more friendly to to the lipids under there.
0: Maria, I I um I could pick your brain all all day here. I, I unfortunately we we have a limited amount of time. Um I, I wanna thank you personally. Um getting a chance and opportunity to connect with you is always just absolutely awesome. Uh, I wanna thank you for what you're doing for the profession. I want to thank you for what you're doing for our knowledge base and scleral lenses. Um and just just thank you for being here and, and everybody else to the audience. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcast and uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Optometric Insights Show.